appreciate the emphasis already that's been given in some of the comments and in John's prayer in regard to our mission from God to go into all the world and make disciples. I hope it's uh, uh, something that's on your heart. I appreciate the emphasis given here at the McDermott Road Church from the leadership, from the elders. Ever since I've been here at McDermott Road, that's always been a priority of, of this church and not just here, not just in across the world, but in our local community. And I hope it's a talking point for you, maybe with people that you come in contact with. In fact, I didn't like you to reflect for a minute on the kind of conversations you do have with people uh, who are not participants with us here at McDermott Road. I think churches are often something that comes up in a conversation, are they not? And I'm not sure if it's the kind of conversation where you compare churches, but uh, uh, I think it's a good place to start with someone. It, begin to ask someone about the church they attend. Ask them about uh, what they do there and what they enjoy about their church. And once you've given them that opportunity, that opens the door for you to say, let me tell you about where I go to church. Let me tell you about the things that uh, we do there. And I, I wonder what you would say. What would be maybe the first thing you'd go to to hopefully brag about the McDermott Church? I think if you're a parent, I hope you would initially think of the... Uh, uh, all the activities, all the plans, all the uh, resources that are available to parents here. When we think of the development of our road family ministry over the last couple of years, those of you who have kids from birth to 18 years old and all the things that are in place now to help with that. It might be even the things the last few years that uh, we've developed in our men's and women's ministry. Uh, when we think of our Brothers Keeper program we've already mentioned, uh, the ladies' heartfelt friends and... Uh, hearts and hands, and so forth. Maybe it's the life group you attend. I have a feeling, I hope likely, uh, it's your preacher, that you'll brag on Wes. You'll talk about this kind of sermons you hear each Sunday from the Word of God. And that's usually something that's uh, brought up in that conversation. But at the same time, I wonder if you ever might think of the emphasizing the mission work that the church does. If you've been a participant in some of the places, you look at your bulletin today and you'll see the five countries that we are mainly involved in. We've added Haiti to that and we'll talk about that some more this morning. But if you've gone to one of those places, that's certainly on your heart and certainly something that you talk about. And so I appreciate, the again, the elders and the emphasis there, the men who serve on our missions committee, the effort that's given there. But you know, even when I think of uh, our Brighter Together campaign as maybe a talking point, talking about the way that our church is growing and that we're expanding, that we're going to do more here at this site, uh, there comes a point where even in a ministry that it might reach a point where, you know, it's going as good as we can think. When you think of, uh, I'll just, you know, think of uh, heartfelt friends, for instance. Uh, you know, that's just worked so well. Uh, when we complete a building, it's like it's, it's finished, it's done. But when we think about mission work, that is something I think we would always look at as saying that is always going to be unfinished business. That is always something we want to try to do better, something we want to try to uh, perfect to some degree where we're doing that kind of work because the challenge is so great that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 28, go into all the world. When will that opportunity ever cease? When will we ever finish that task? 
I think of even some of the statements in the Bible of people who, who when using this phrase of when things are finished and when you've finally done things right, and I'm, I'm mindful of Paul's statement in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verses 6 through 8, as he comes to the end of his life. And he uses these same types of phrases, I fought the good fight. He says, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on to that day, and not only to the, me, but to all who loved his appearing. What a wonderful thing to be able to say at the end of your life. I have done what I needed to do, and now the Lord is going to reward me. But you may think as well of a time in Jesus' life when he used that same word. There are seven statements that Jesus makes from the cross. Three of those are found in John chapter 19. In verses 26 and 27, he looks down at John and he looks down at his mother Mary and he says, Woman, behold your son. And to John he says, Behold your mother. And he talks about how from that day forward, John, or the disciple whom Jesus loved, took care of his mother. The very next verse, Jesus says, I thirst. And it says that they gave him a sponge dipped in sour wine. But it was only the very next verse, in verse 30, where Jesus says three words. He says, it is finished. And it says that he died and gave up his spirit. Now we might think when someone dies and they utter those words, it is finished, they may just be thinking of that moment where they're ready to breathe their last. But when I think about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, using the phrase, it is finished, think of how much grander the reference might be that Jesus is using. I appreciate uh, the reference uh, that Scott gave us this morning from Philippians chapter 2. That was an eternal plan. Jesus has known, if we can say, from eternity that He would be on the cross. He's known, let's just say, He's known for a long time, okay, that that was going to be what happened. Coming to the earth, going through His ministry, the miracles, the teaching, the encouraging things that He may have felt, the disappointing things He may have felt, the 12 apostles, even the last 24 hours, it was less than 24 hours that He was having dinner with the apostles before He says these words. He's trying to get them to understand the things that are about to happen. Judas betrays Him. He tells the apostles that they're all going to desert Him. And then, of course, even the pain of what's been happening the last eight or nine hours in his life being put on the cross. So when Jesus says, it is finished, there's a lot more to that than just the fact that my, I'm breathing my last breath. Jesus is, in a sense, finally saying, even what I prayed last night might not happen. He's finally saying, this ability that you gave me, this power that rested within me to forgive sins, even as he maybe even thought back to the beginning of John where his own cousin cries out, look, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is reminded of what has to happen 
for those sins to be taken away. And so it is finished. Jesus of all people could say, it is finished. What I came to do has taken place. Now mankind can be saved. Every soul that's ever lived, every soul that ever will. But even as Jesus said it is finished, God is in His mind perhaps looking down and saying, yes, son, your task is finished. My task has just begun or the task of taking the gospel to all the world. You say Jesus made this appointment of what we've read already in Matthew 28 even before He died. This, this picture on the mount here in Galilee in Matthew 28 is a prophecy He gave even before His death. And Matthew chapter 26 is the first reference. And this is again uh, just the night before His crucifixion. And He's telling the apostles, you're going to desert Me. He tells Peter, you're going to deny Me three times. But into the mix of those words, He says, but after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And so he's implanting this idea in their mind. Now Galilee is about 80 miles from Jerusalem. So he's not saying after I'm raised up, we're going to have, we're going to meet at the cafe down the street. In other words, he's saying there's going to be a trip that's planned. You're going to be going up to Galilee again, and I'm going to be with you there again. In Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus is raised from the dead, uh, there's the great announcement to Mary Magdalene, to the other Mary, and there's this reference here in the first few verses in verse 7 where the angel says, Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So this great event that's just taken place, this angel brings up again even to the women that there's an appointment that's still coming up uh, that needs to be observed. And this is something you need to pass on to the apostles. And Jesus meets the women on the road here in verse 10. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So what is it that's so important already to be reminded the night before His crucifixion, the morning of His resurrection, that there's a, a, an appointment, there's something I've got to meet with the apostles about? You know, when you think of appointments, a lot of you keep those with people. Sometimes they uh, have some specifics about them. Most specifics, uh, you generally know where you're going to meet. <laughs> you generally know what time you're going to meet and hopefully know who you're going to meet with. If any of those three are missing, you're probably not going to have a very good appointment coming up. But sometimes uh, there's a plan for what's going to be discussed. So There's an agenda for that appointment. There's an agenda for that meeting. And that's exactly as you know what Jesus had in mind in this regard. But what was so important that He brings it up even before He dies and the angel in the midst of a news of a risen Savior adds that to the message. Well, let's look at this passage in Matthew chapter 28 because this is the meeting that takes place and uh, I think we've read who knows how many times but I'm going to hopefully emphasize some things in this that we may have sometimes overlooked. We're often emphasizing the command 
And even the, the phrase that we give this, we don't even call it the commission. It's such a fantastic command, we call it the great commission. But look what it says. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So they, they've gotten the specifics. Uh, anyone who's read, as we know, Matthew's account knows this is referring back to those three verses already to the, the point that Jesus has made. There's an appointment I need to keep with you in Galilee. So here's the event. Here's what is so important that Jesus has been, been emphasizing. But look what we read in verse 17. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But look at the next phrase. But some doubted. Now there's a lot of discussion. Is there more than the 11 that are there? Because you'd think, knowing the other accounts of Jesus' resurrection, there have been appearances already to the apostles before this event uh, here at the end of Matthew chapter 28. But are we possibly saying there's some of the 11 that are doubting what Jesus, who Jesus is? Because some are, are worshiping, some are giving Him all the adoration they can, and some are giving just the opposite. It even uses the word, but, or however, in contrast to those who were choosing to worship Him, some doubt it. Now worship, the very essence of that word is to pour out your adoration to, which is very appropriate as what they would be doing here with Jesus. So in these two groups, one recognize who Jesus is, but the other groups doubt. And what he says next, I think, is what is supposed to even perhaps divide the two even more or at least help to create the distinction of who he is in regard to whether I be worshipped or whether you doubt me. And that's verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It seems as though Jesus is trying to remind them of who He is. And if there's anything He's walked away from the cross with in uttering this phrase, it is finished, it is the satisfaction of knowing what was accomplished and what needs to happen again. And so before He can even, let's say, give this command or instill within the minds of the apostles of the task that they need to accomplish, there's two things that have to happen, and they are happening here. There is a group of people who recognize who Jesus is and fall down and worship Him and adore the Lord Jesus Christ. And secondly, they are reminded of the power and the authority that Jesus has. If there's anything that this verse reminds me of, it might be Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah is in the presence of God in this great throne room and the train is filling the temple and the, the sound is making the place shake and there's smoke and he's in the presence of the Lord and he humbles himself and says, I'm a sinful man. But then at the end of that, uh, God says, you know, I have a message. Who will go? Who can I send? And Isaiah, because of the the recognition of what he's just seen and who God is cries out, well, here am I, send me. And so 
as I reflect on the church, as I reflect on even myself and examine myself in regard to am I making disciples, maybe it's because I haven't solved these first two parts of the equation. I haven't recognized Jesus for who He is. My life is not one that gives Him complete adoration, that as in Romans 12 says, can worship Him as a living sacrifice throughout the day and as one who recognizes the authority and the command that Jesus has or should have over my life because of the fact that I'm His servant and He's my Master. So what is at the heart of this next command? Let's look at verses 19 and 20. Let's say they've Jesus now has the attention of those who worship Him, those who recognize who He is, and so He can lead into this great command. Go therefore, and the interesting part of the verse is there's the word therefore. Go because of what I just said. Go because of who you recognize I am. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I kind of gave it away here. But if you had to pick two words that we're commanded to do from this, what would you say? We might have thought, well, we're go baptize. Go teach. Go teach them to observe. But I think if you had to boil it down to just two words that Jesus is commanding or asking His apostles to do, it's these two that we've highlighted, to go simply make disciples. People who commit their life to Jesus Christ and everything that that entails. I believe this is the point of the meeting. It was the reason for the appointment. Jesus is saying, I have the authority to ask this and command this of you. Uh, Mark's account, John referenced that, and to preach the gospel, to preach the story of the cross, to preach the saving message of the death, burial, and resurrection. You know, this important appointment, I might could say, was not Jesus saying, go feed the poor. Jesus did not say, go minister to the sick. He didn't say, go take care of the homeless. He said, go make disciples. And the unfinished business has been and is now and will always be to make disciples. When you make disciples of Christ, you make people who live like Jesus. You make people who then feed the poor and heal the sick, who have all the attitude of loving their fellow man. But this last part, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, may be the hardest part of all. I have found sometimes that teaching and baptizing and going is kind of the easy part. It's what God asks of us to do after they've become disciples that's the critical part. You know, uh, I may have said this before, uh, uh, I've been taught how to eat right. Uh, I know all the diets. You know, I could name what I'm supposed to have each day, how much protein, vegetables, fruit, butterfingers, you know, you name it. <laughs> I know. 
I know how to exercise. Uh, I've gone through that plan as well. I've been taught that well. You probably look at me and say, Mark, how are you observing? How are you observing that? The body of Christ, who we are today, who you are today, are the people who help make disciples observe all that Jesus has taught us. That's what we do. We don't just teach, but we're the example. You see, when I sometimes open instructions to put something together, maybe for kids or grandkids, you know, I'll read the words, but you know what I need? I need the picture. I need the picture of when that little section is finished, then I see how it's supposed to look. And that's who you and I are in our role of not just making disciples, not just baptizing people, but I pray this morning you're also that one who's leading people to Christ through your example. But I have to ask, kind of in closing this morning, to bring it down to me. Have I become distracted from what is most important? Jesus called His last meeting and He said, I have something important to cover. You know, I have a lot of responsibilities here at McDermott Road. When I read this verse, I know I don't have any greater responsibility than to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And I can get distracted. But you know, I also have to ask another question. Are you listening? A church can become distracted from what is most important. The McDermott Road Church can forget that Jesus asked us to make disciples. You know, a church can become very satisfied with itself. You know, we can reach our capacity and say, how can we do any better? I just mentioned the programs that we have, you know, the activities that go on for our kids and for even the adults, the fun that we have, the fellowship that we enjoy, and say, man, isn't that just great? And yet we forget this great command, this great admonition of Jesus Christ. And we can be excited about a lot of things, but not about making disciples. You know, even when I think of the history of the church here, when I, let's just think 10 years ago maybe. 10 years ago we were averaging less than 800 people in attendance. Now 1,000 is, is, is almost the norm. Uh, 10 years ago uh, we weren't near as involved with the work in Nicaragua as we are now. This morning there are students uh, in churches right now working because of the training they've had. They're sharing the gospel. We weren't doing that 10 years ago. We didn't have an additional helper for Nikolai with Constantine that we have now. We didn't have 30 congregations in the valley on both sides of the border this morning preaching the gospel. We didn't have the work in Haiti that we're able to uh, talk about this morning 10 years ago. 10 years ago, we didn't have Friends Speak. We didn't have... World Bible School teachers. We didn't have Project Thrive. We didn't have Hearts and Hands. Uh, we didn't have the Dallas Homeless Ministry 10 years ago. Well, what's happened? Well, we've, we've made disciples. We have increased the number of disciples here. Uh, we didn't have 35 life groups that we have. Well, that's the whole point of our Brighter Together campaign. We're imagining, we're thinking, what can possibly 
happen 10 years from now with even greater numbers of disciples here. The impact that the McDermott Road Church can have, not only worldwide, but across our community, simply by making disciples and putting the emphasis where it belongs. So most of us are not going into all the world, are we? But you do have a world that you live in. And I pray that at the end of all of our lives, we were able to say like Paul did, we'd be able to finish the race uh, and be complete and satisfied with our service to God. But I pray with our church, we can also be satisfied in the way that we've looked at this great command of Jesus and be, be uh, blessed in knowing that we're on that road to help make disciples. I've got some things I'm going to share after the invitation song that we're doing today. But this morning, I hope you're challenged by uh, what we have before us. This great command of Jesus will never grow old. It's what we're asked to do. Some point in your life, you became a disciple of Jesus Christ. And it was because of someone's influence in your life or someone's influence a generation before that or a generation before that. There are people in our audience this morning who have become Christians simply because they... They came into our church building at one point and the gospel is able to be shared with them. We pray that continues to happen. And this morning there may be someone outside of Christ as well who's still not made that decision uh, to put on their Lord in baptism as Blaine even did this past week. Uh, we're going to sing an invitation song. If you need prayer, then please uh, uh, come forward and we'll be happy to pray in your behalf. The elders will be back here as well. Uh, let's stand together and sing.